Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Friend, the Ten Commandment Law of God is a transcript of God's eternal character And thus his law, which is his name, is the everlasting covenant of who he is. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenka will be here in just a moment with today's message. You know, here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is here now to take your prayer request. Today's Reaching Your Heart is entitled From Bones to Thrones. That's right, From Bones to Thrones. And we'll bring this to you in two parts due to our time constraints. Remember that you can always listen to the entire message without interruption at reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway with From Bones to Thrones. Here's Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father, may there be no bad attitude in this place. There is simply no time for it. We cannot afford to not be in unity for the salvation of men and women. Father, these last two years have been very challenging ones for some of us. You have sustained the church. You have sustained the pastoral staff. And you have perfect timing for the future. And so we are grateful. Lord, may we never, ever surrender the Bible for anything like feelings. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is the source of our peace. The Holy Spirit is that which brings joy and community. Lord, may we never try to manufacture that which God's Spirit brings. So as we open the Bible, Lord, may we open our hearts to feed upon the living Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. It has been said by someone long forgotten that a rule isn't unfair if it applies to everyone. How many of you agree with that? You with me? I mean, a rule has to work for everyone or it's not fair. John Locke in his second treatise on government held the position that a king is not above the law and that everyone has the same rights under the law and the same obligations. Martin Luther King Jr. summarized the idea this way. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I hate injustice. I don't like people being treated unfairly. I don't like to be treated unfairly. Are you in agreement? Who wants to be on the raw side of an unfair deal? No one does. And so the golden rule should make sense in the entire universe. In the Bible, and here's the fact, in the Bible, we worship a God of justice. We hear a lot about mercy and love, but let us not forget that our God is a God of justice. In Revelation 15.3 and Revelation 16.7, the Word of God says that God is just and true in all His ways, and it also says in all His judgments. Our God is a just God. In God's universe, the law must apply to everyone, including God. 
The first claim of Satan in the great controversy against our Creator God was the bold claim that the God of the universe is not a God who is subject to His own law. In other words, He imposes His law upon His creatures, but He Himself is incapable of keeping that holy law that He demands from us. In the Bible, and you can take note of this, God's name and God's law, they are the same thing. Did you hear me? When we look at the name of God, Yahweh, in the Bible, the law, the Ten Commandment law of God is the same thing as God's name. So if you set aside God's law, you're really annulling His name. Many Christians today believe the law was nailed to the cross. That's like saying the holy name of Yahweh was nailed to the cross. In Revelation 14.1, God's name will be written, the Bible says, on the foreheads of His people in the mark of the beast issue. When the mark goes on the foreheads of people of the world who worship the beast and His image, God will place His name and the name of His Son on the forehead of His people in stark contrast to the worshipers of the beast. So God's name, which is His law, is a description of His moral character. And the Bible teaches that God is subject to His own law. So there's not one law for God and another law for the universe. It's the same law for everyone. Friend, God will not change who He is. And He will not change His law because His law is a transcript of His everlasting character of love. Thus, end-time issues, according to the book of Revelation, have everything to do with the Ten Commandment moral law of God. I mean, you don't read far into the book of Revelation. You'll see statements like this. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I'm sorry, when God descended on Mount Sinai and when His hand wrote on the tables a blue sapphire stone taken from the throne of God in Exodus 24, He wrote His own character, His own name into those holy tablets of the law. Deuteronomy 28.15. Open your Bibles and let's turn there. The Bible says, If you are not careful to do all the words of this law which are written in this book, that you may fear the glorious and awful name of the Lord your God. Notice the strong connection between the law of God and the name of God in this verse. The name Lord, in all capital letters, is the Hebrew name Yahweh. Translators translate it L-O-R-D in all capital letters. Whenever you see the name Lord this way in your English Bible, it is the holy covenant name of God. Some older translations will call it Jehovah, Jehovah, Yahweh. It's really the same name. The German scholars added the vowel pointing of the word Adonai to Yahweh because there is no vowel pointing for that word there in the Hebrew text originally. And so it was to clue people not to pronounce the name because it was so holy they didn't even want to mention it. So Jehovah is kind of a German corruption of the pure form of Yahweh. Jehovah is the German version of that name, and I think Yahweh is what I'll stick with here for practical purposes. In Exodus 3.14, the divine name Yahweh means, I am who I am. Let's say that together. Yahweh means what? I am who I am. Now that's what God told Moses at the burning bush. That's God's name. That's God's law, because God's law is who God is. God's law is an outworking of His character. It is a description of His moral nature. God is love. I am who I am. His law is love. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6.1, this is the commandment, the great commandment. So the law of love is a description of who God is. The king of the universe, friend, is 
the source and the essence of the Ten Commandment law of love. And the Ten Commandment law of love is equivalent to His holy Yahweh name, the covenant name. Yahweh is my name, God says in Exodus 3.15. You will always remember me by my name, Yahweh the Lord. That's another way of saying don't forget to keep the law of God because my name matters to me. Exodus 3.15, God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So when a person remembers God's covenant name, that person keeps his Ten Commandment law, including the Sabbath of the Fourth Commandment. Deuteronomy 3.14 tells us that the Ten Commandments represent God's covenant That when He gave the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, He gave His covenant to the world. Hebrews 13.20 calls God's covenant the everlasting covenant. And God says here in Exodus 3.15 that we are never to forget His name. It's an everlasting name. Everlasting covenant, everlasting name. Friend, Jesus' blood atoned for that broken covenant in Hebrews 13.20. It is the blood of the everlasting covenant. Look at Psalms 119, verse 55. Here's a verse that kind of pulls it all together. David said, I remember thy name in the night, O Lord. Now, how is it spelled in your Bible there? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And what is that name? Yahweh. And as a result, if you remember his name, what do you do? You keep the law. You cannot Honor God's name and set aside the law because God's name and God's law are the same thing. So God's Ten Commandment, covenant law, is God's eternal covenant because God's name, which is His covenant, is the clear statement of who God is in those ten holy precepts. And who God is can never be changed because God can never change who He is. He says, I am who I am. My name is Yahweh. Now you see the picture? When Jesus said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, he could have just as easily said, Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your Ten Commandment law, because God's law and God's name are the same thing. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. How many of you like a fickle God that moves around and changes his attitude toward you and does whatever he wants to? You want that kind of a God in your life? Or do you want a rock-solid, dependable God who's consistent, whose mercy is consistent, whose justice is right, but He's not overly severe, He's consistent in your life? Isn't that a great God to have? God says, I change not, therefore you are not consumed. God cannot change His moral law because God cannot change. He cannot alter the Ten Commandments because He cannot alter His own character. The law is consistent because God is consistent. Thus, His name is the everlasting covenant. This means that God is subject to the same justice that He expects from every creature in the universe. God cannot get off the hook because He's God. There's not one law for the king who is God, another law for all His subjects that He created. And so God must be just and true in all His ways and judgments, or God Himself is not fit to be king. You know, the devil in the Garden of Eden claimed that God is not Yahweh. Did you know that? You go back to the Garden of Eden, and the devil made a claim that God himself does not deserve to have the name Yahweh. Let me prove it to you. And by so doing, he actually claimed that God is not his own law. 
that God is acting outside of the very law that he wants us to keep. He asserted that the law of God that God expects us to keep is not who God really is. And most people, when they read their Bibles, they miss this. They read right over the verse. They read fast. And they don't follow the text line well enough to do it. So let's look at it. This is the very first and great claim and the great controversy between Christ and Satan that is recorded in Scripture. It gives us the core insight into what caused Satan to rebel in heaven. The basis of God's holy law, friend, is unselfish love for others. We know this from Deuteronomy 6. Another place where it says, The great commandment is the love of the Lord your God. And the second is likened to it, you shall love your neighbors yourself. The Ten Commandments summarize these great core principles. And so the basis of God's law is unselfish love for others. In Acts 20.35, Paul shared what the Lord Jesus had said to him. Take your Bibles and look at this. He says, In all things I have shown you that by so toiling one must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord, Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to do what? What does he say? It is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, if you're a Christian in the church, it's all about what you want. It's all about you getting something out of church. It's all about your needs being met in your mind. Do you realize you're a selfish Christian? Do you hear me? If that's what church is for you, you are a selfish Christian, which means you're a disobedient Christian. You're unfaithful if that's your mind and attitude. But if your attitude is, what can I do for others? How can I meet a need where it's not being felt? How can I reach into the life of a hurting person and lift them? Rather than, how can I look good lifting them? You know, we often want to help people and look good doing it, right? Well, the Lord could care less how you look. He cares how you feel towards someone and act in your own heart. And so God is looking for men and women to love people with disinterested attitudes, to give and not to receive, to not blow a trumpet, when a great work is done, but to let people not know that you have done something. Just do it. When you are a giving person in the church, you are a loving person. And the person who can give is a person who keeps the law of love that is the law of God. That's why returning the tithe with generous offerings is hugely important. You know, people come to church and they say, well, you know, I love the service and whatever. They don't give anything to support the church. What is that saying to God? What is it saying to others in the church? We are to pour ourselves out for the church of God on earth. John 3.16. Now here's the verse that shows that God does not expect something of us that He Himself does not do. For God so loved the what? The world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but what? Have eternal life. The Hebrew word for love is built off a Hebrew word that means to give. To love is to give. And if God cannot give, it means that God cannot love. And if God cannot love, it means God Himself is not subject to the same law that He expects of all of His creation. God is love. His law is love. Satan claimed that in a state of nature, we're talking a little bit like political philosophy here, like John Locke and Rousseau's social contract. In a state of nature, the eternal and powerful God that is the infinite Creator God He claimed that God cannot give because He has everything to draw from. By virtue that He is an infinite being, His claim is He cannot love. And thus He scandalized the moral law of God in the universe. Because God is king and God has resources that are limitless, He insinuated and even attacked God, claiming that our God is not a God that can give. Half of everything, what is it? 
It's nothing to a God who has all resources. So what does it mean to God to sacrifice something when the only way that God could give would be to exterminate God? And it would appear in this state of nature that an infinite eternal being cannot give. Thus, he has put a scandal upon his created order. The math for God didn't balance in the equation as he falsely put it on the chalkboard of the universe to see. In the Garden of Eden, as soon as the Sabbath appears, in Genesis 2, 1-3, the covenant name of God, Yahweh, which is the Lord, with all capital letters, is first found in the Bible glued to the name Elohim that describes the powerful God of Genesis 1-1. So if you want to look for the name of God, the very first time it appears is in Genesis 2-4. Now Genesis 1-1 is context. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now in Genesis 2-4, that name is Lord God. It has Yahweh added to the front side of it. In Genesis 1, verse 1, the Creator God is described as Elohim. Breshit bara Elohim. It doesn't say Yahweh. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over. Biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. In Genesis 1, verse 1, the Creator God is described as Elohim. Breshit bara Elohim. It doesn't say Yahweh. The name for the powerful, creative, distant God is the word Elohim. Now, in your English Bible, it will be spelled capital G, small o, and D. So if I were to ask you next week, what is capital G, small o, and D, what would you say? Are you taking notes? You would say what? Elohim. And it means the powerful, distant God. Now, that's the only name for God found from Genesis 1-1 all the way here to Genesis 2-4 where the name Yahweh is added to it. So in creation, without the Sabbath, without the Garden of Eden, God is simply powerful Elohim, powerful distant God. But as soon as the Sabbath comes online, as soon as there's a garden to know God in, a holy place, the name Yahweh is added, the Lord God. The name of the Lord is glued to the seventh day at the dawn of time in the east where the seal of God is found. In the Bible, friend, the Sabbath is the creation covenant that is a sign that points to the everlasting covenant that is God's name and law. So how did Adam and Eve know God? They knew Him first through the Sabbath worship experience that was instituted in Eden. That's how they knew who He was as a covenant being. That's how they experienced His first love on the seventh day. The book of Hebrews says they entered into God's rest on the seventh day. Now, the Hebrew number seven is Shavah, and it means oath. In Genesis 21, it's synonymous with covenant. So the seventh day was the covenant day when the name of Yahweh, the Lord, appeared at the dawn of time. Now, the book of Revelation is very clear. The seal of the living God goes back to the east. It goes to the dawn of time. And the seal is that part of God's law that speaks of his holy name. 
So the oath day, the covenant day, the sealing day in which God affirmed His name was the seventh day, the Sabbath. So friend, the Ten Commandments, they are a transcript of the eternal covenant. They are God's name spelled out in words that we can understand. Look at Genesis 2.4. Now here's the verse. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. The seventh day is the day He's done. And as He has done, the name Yahweh comes into the experience of Adam and Eve. That is the very first time the covenant name Yahweh appears. The Sabbath is online. Now look at Exodus 20, verse 12. The Bible says, Moreover also, I gave them my Sabbath to be... What does the text say? What does it say in your Bible? A sign. Now, in the book of Revelation, what do we have? We have the mark of the beast, don't we? What is God's sign, which is the opposite here? I gave them my Sabbath to be a what? A sign. Now, notice it's not a legalistic sign. A sign between me and them. It's a relationship sign. That they might know that I am Yahweh. How's it spelled in the Bible there? L-O-R-D, all capital letters. That they would know me as covenant God and that would sanctify them. So we are made holy by our connection with God in His holy name. The Sabbath is the sign of God's name, Yahweh, the Lord. It is the sign of the everlasting covenant. In fact, it is the creation covenant that points to the name of God, the eternal covenant that has always been there from the dawn of eternity. In Genesis 2, 4, friend, our loving Creator God is revealed on the last day of creation, the seventh day, as Yahweh covenant God. The God of relationship, the God of law, but not legalistic law, relational law. God's law is built into our DNA, into our relationships, into the principles of justice and mercy. And God's law is who He is. And thus, if God keeps His own law, He is worthy to be king. That name appears, Lord God, just as you saw it in Genesis 2-4. It appears 12 times without interruption. And when you get to Genesis 3-1, the serpent shows up and he deletes the name Yahweh from the mix. In other words, he's saying, I will have none of this word Yahweh with God. I'll admit that God exists. I'm not an atheist. He says, I'm not an atheist. Yes, Elohim exists. But I will not mouth the name Yahweh because I do not, I will not hold the position that God is Yahweh. So he posits that God is a creator God. Sure enough, he's powerful. But he's not the loving law-oriented, moral being who keeps the same law he imposes on us. And so the serpent introduced the first false claim in the cosmic scandal, the great controversy, that was his attempt to dethrone God in the minds and hearts of all his subjects in the universe, and he was working on Eve to do it. Look at Genesis 3.1. The Bible says, Now the serpent was what? What does it say? More subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. In other words, he's out to deceive. And he said to the woman, now this is very important, hone in on the verse. Did the Lord God say? Is that what the verse says? It doesn't say that, does it? Now, from Genesis 2-4 all the way to here, all you hear of God is Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, until the serpent speaks, and he deletes the name of the Lord. Adam and Eve have only known God as Yahweh, Lord, and then God, Elohim. And then the serpent says, forget the Lord part, just call him God. Now, how many times in your life have you been tempted to forget to have a relationship with God and just be religious? Has that ever gone through your experience? 
Just come to church, go through the rounds, but forget that personal friendship with God. So the devil is insinuating here that God is someone to be afraid of, but not someone who can be your friend. He's not someone who embodies the principles of love, who can give of himself. He's not Yahweh. That's an amazing claim. The beast, the false prophet, and the dragon in the book of Revelation will make laws that challenge God's law in the mark of the beast. The very thing the devil went after in Genesis 1 will be the issue at the time of the end. The name of the beast will be substituted for God's name in the name of the Lamb. The mark of the beast will take the place of the sign of God that points to His holy name that is His law. The commandments of men will stand in contrast to the commandments of God. And the gospel of peace in Jesus will be substituted by a false gospel with a false covenant. And the whole world, according to Revelation 13, will worship the beast and the dragon and they will bow down to the image of the beast. Friend, the truths God revealed in Eden will be attacked in the last test. And I want to be on the right side of that test. I don't want to know what some great theologian says. I want to know what the Bible says. I want to follow God's Word and be true to it. It doesn't matter if we are popular with the masses. What matters is to be right with God. And the people who are loyal to His Word will be blessed and held in the last days. Friend, you cannot afford to set aside God's law in your personal life by compromise. You just can't. Well, unfortunately, due to our time constraints, we're going to need to leave it there for the first portion of From Bones to Thrones with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Remember that you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, reachingyourheart.com to listen to the entire message without interruption of Bones to Thrones with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. And thank you so much for joining us today. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished that you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's last altar call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy. It's yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for listening. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. 855-888-4673 is the telephone number to call. 855-888-4673. 855-888-4673. Or reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.